Welcome all to episode 8 of the Two Sporting Muppets. I'd like to welcome my co-host Gray to the microphone for this week. Hello Greg, how's your week been mate? It's been a really good week actually this week. Moved house but we're settling now so a little bit distracted but sport was always there in the background to keep me sane. As always, as always. This week we'll be following our usual agenda, having a look at the week in sport in a minute, but we do have a bit of a change, very exciting, we got our first special guest. I'm so excited, so our first actual joining us at, for the recording of the podcast, and a really interesting topic. We're having a look at one of the biggest sporting clubs in the world, Manchester United, and our special guest is a tragic, absolute Man United tragic, so we look forward to welcoming him shortly. Yeah, looking forward to the story about being a true fanatic, how you live your life through the eyes of football fanatics. I'm really looking forward to having that, as I said, our very first special guest on the microphone. Before we get into our week in review, we were fantastic to get some emails and some feedback from last week's show. Thanks, Kelly, first of all, for her feedback around the Commonwealth Games and her point that you know, it's for the competitors first and foremost. And I totally agree with that, even mm. though I wasn't always positive about the Commonwealth Games. I do admit there's no no athlete that would not want to be there representing their country. So point taken and agreed with. The other thing that I will say that I forgot to mention last week that I think is a real positive about the Commonwealth Games was the fact that Paralympians and able-bodied Olympians are completely integrated and and into one event and rather than having two separate events like the Olympic Games do. I think that's an amazing Absolutely, Greg. I agree. It's proper inclusion, isn't it? I'm not saying that the Olymp- that that the Olympic Committee say, oh, you know, we want it separate. Logistically, I would hope would be the reason why they can't do it for the Olympics. But yeah, it just shows proper inclusion. This is the the one games, and everyone's a part of it. Yeah, I think that's perfect. As you said, with the size of the Olympics, unfortunately, probably makes it impossible. Hence, they have the two events back to back or parallel to each other. But the fact that Commonwealth Games can do it, I think it is absolute true inclusion. And to see those amazing athletes perform side-by-side, medal celebrated side-by-side, it is, as you said, absolute genuine true inclusion and great to see on the sporting um, um, arena. Yeah, I agree if you're totally there. Um, Another email, and look, keep the emails coming. Really appreciate people engaging. Um, If it's your first time listening, welcome. And don't hesitate to send us an email. We'll give you the address shortly. But we have one from Graham from down Victoria, obviously, from Mooney Ponds. And he basically says, well, Muppets, how appropriate. You talk about AFL. All, all I've heard so far is about the Demons and mainly about the Sydney Swans. So Collingwood have won 11 in a row and ha- haven't rated the mention. Well, they just have now. But, Graham, today's your day. We'll do a little a- AFL review shortly and certainly Collingwood will come up. But thanks, thanks anyway for, you know, for sending us through an email. Thanks, Gray. There was one other email we got, Gray, which is, again, fantastic, and that is the two sporting muppets at gmail.com. That's number two sporting muppets at gmail.com for your feedback. Um, there was one from Mr. Tom from Redfern regarding your history recount oh, of the bunnies, the bunnies last the week. South Sydney Rabbitohs. And you were, although positive, you did leave out some famous players. I knew from, that would happen. From Tom's account. So some of the players that Tom mentioned that we could have built into last week's history was Ewan Crossan, Michael Podgy, and I apologise if I get these names right. Please correct me, Gray. You're more of the football yep. expert than me. Neil Baker, Glenn Grief, Steve Maven, Henderson Gill. 
I, lo- I love Tom. Now, f- for those who aren't big NRL fans, the, what Tom is doing, he's been a little bit facetious. They are, Look, anyone that plays NRL first grade is an exceptional player, but there are a couple of players that probably <laughs> weren't stars, shall we say. Um, but I won't, get, won't go into that. But we will have a look at a few of those names in another episode. Steve Maven. He, he was really good at times, but made, had a famous game where everything went wrong. But at Fair Dinkum Department, Tom has mentioned, we didn't mention Cameron Murray. We did at the end, but we sort of, from my main list. Mark Carroll. Yeah, that's definitely a... How did we leave that out? Mark Carroll. He, yeah, he, and look, he was great. He played for them when they were really bad, and he was loyal. I know he went to Manly later, but he... You know, he he played quite a few years for the Bunnies when they were struggling. Look, Tom Burgess, who does get overlooked for his big brother Sam, played 200 games for them. So that's exceptional. And Tony Rampling. Tony Rampling was my un- one of my uncle's favourite players. He was he was just tough, a bit like Les Davidson. Tough and just uncompromising. But thanks so much, Tom, A, for tuning in, but also for sending us your feedback. Yeah, it's great to get that feedback and we can build on the show with the comments made. So really appreciate and get those emails coming in and it's great to have some listeners engaging with us. And also our, our regular, Mr. Gardner, has has also um, sent us a little bit of feedback and just said well done and he's looking forward to this episode. Thanks again, Mr. Gardner, for the feedback and the continuing listening to us prattle on about sport. Very much appreciated. For sure. Now, Greg, look, something I don't really want to be nice not to have to discuss this but fortunately it's very important and last week we had you know a great Australian boxer leave us Johnny Famishon but look the whole sporting world but particularly the NRL world absolutely gutted yesterday to hear that former well, player and coach Paul Green um, has passed away at age 49 way too young to to go and sadly left behind a wife and two young chick kids yeah, look, really tragic. Um, look, we will pay Paul Green the the tribute he deserves in upcoming episodes. Look, all we can say is the police have said no suspicious circumstances. So, look, there have been some really nice tributes from all people for over the sporting world, and as I said, mainly the NRL world. I know, you know as just briefly... First person, well, the only person to coach North Queensland to their to their maiden premiership, their first premiership um, achievement itself. He was a Rothmans medal winner. You know, he was a rub a rugby league man. So yeah, really, really look for the sport, but ultimately for his, for his family. So condolences to to Paul's family and everyone who knew Paul. Um, and as look at and as always, anyone that is struggling, please reach out beyond beyond Blue Lifeline. All those wonderful organisations. So, yeah, our, thought, our thoughts are and prayers are with the, the Green family. Well said, Gray, and thanks. No problem at all, Greg. Moving on, so we'll have a look at all Commonwealth Games. I know we've spoken a fair bit about the Commonwealth Games, but they finished up. I'll just quickly, I was just having a look at the medal tally. So, Australia, well done to our athletes, topped 178 with 67 gold, just the top five. Uh, England, 176 with 57 gold. Canada had 26 gold. India, 22 gold. And New Zealand, 20 gold. And we mentioned New Zealand last week per capita. 
Like compare, India got 22 with their population of oh, a billion. Just over a billion people. Fair few people to pick from and New Zealand 20. So it just shows how our Anzac buddies just punch above their weight. They can, certainly do on the sporting arena. And we've mentioned that before with different sports. And I know they, um, above their, when you look at medals per population in the Olympics, they always perform extremely well. Um, as well so yeah again as you said punching above their weight on the sporting field um, and have performed extremely well at those commonwealth games as a nation sporting nation yeah, as they always do but also but also our athletes look hard to single out too many because we did we did well across the board in just about every sport every discipline so congratulations but look the netballers did well after you know that little slip up against jamaica they i don't know if you i watched the second half or most of the grand the final and yeah, it was even. It was. I think it was scores were level at halftime, and third quarter Australia just came out and just hit the hit the next gear. And away they went. I think they got eight in front at one stage, and it was basically game over from there. Now, one that you mentioned, Greg, that was impressive too, was Ollie Hoare, the fifth who won the fifteen hundred men's final. Yeah, event that's traditionally both at Commonwealth, Olympic, and World Championships dominated by African runners. So to see uh, an Australian athlete win that, that was phenomenal. And I, I know I was a bit negative about the Commonwealth Games last week, but from an athlete's point of view, what a phenomenal performance against, in that event, world-class athletes. So, um, you know, the, the people, the competitors he beat perform at the highest standard Olympic and World Championships. So he was certainly in heightened company and, and to beat them was, you know, amazing. Yeah, oh, one, wonderful achievement, you know. As you, I can't say it any better than you just said it, Greg. It's something to be very proud of. Not sure what happened when we spoke last week, but it was unfortunate in the in the um, hundred meter relay that we had um, Mr. Forgotten his first name, Browning, our great runner, Rowan, that fell over. He was our last runner, being the quickest, and unfortunately he he tripped over in the in the baton change. I didn't see, it, but what a shame! It was what a, a shame, shame to finish off that way. These things happen. And look, the closing ceremony, I didn't watch. I just saw some highlights of it. But we mentioned about Birmingham. One thing we know is rich musical history, but I'd know a lot. I, if someone said name a Birmingham band, I knew UB40 and Black Sabbath. Bit it. But yeah, some other really, and they in, incorporated them really well. Um, Duran Duran. I had no idea Duran Duran were originally a Birmingham, from Birmingham. And yeah, so the closing ceremony was... Um, was well done. And as I mentioned, the Peaky Blinders got a run as well. A series I really enjoyed. So yeah, it was, it was well done. And look, the friendly games, I get it. It was very, happy, very, very happy. And you know, nice nice way to finish. Seemed to be well organised. Athletes were really positive about it. The, the interviews I saw and the comments made by athletes on social media sold sold the games as a positive. And I think that's fantastic that, you know, it's such good spirits when competitors are out there on the world stage. For sure. Well done to all and sundry. Now, for Graham at Mini Ponds, we're going to AFL now. So AFL, it's Collingwood. A juggern- absolutely is a juggernaut. So Collingwood have won, I think it's 11 in a row now, playing really, really good good football. They started the season very shakily. I think after about four or five rounds, or maybe won one or two games they were towards the bottom. And so the last 11, the last three months, they've, Things have gelled. You know, new coach this year. Um, there was some speculation. I, I know the um, Degoy thing was disruptive, but they've just <laughs> they've just hit the accelerator and 
very, very hard to stop, it seems. So in the AFL world, I'm sure you know this, Greg, there's no Collingwood and not a team where, yeah, I don't mind Collingwood. You either love them or you hate them. Yeah, it's very black and white people's opinion on Collingwood, even as a Victorian outsider. It's one of those things as a sporting tragic, you you know and understand that you either love Collingwood or you don't. There's no in between that you're a fair weather fan. You you you're it or you're not, and they, I know they can be quite divisive. The the one the people that love Collingwood and those who don't. Black and white, as you said, appropriate that they wear black and white. Very appropriate, they wear black and white. Yeah, but well done, well done to them. Real fair, because it looked like Geelong just going through the motions, winning. Melbourne, they're looking a bit shaky, but still, I just looked at the ladder, Greg. So Geelong at 64 points, then Collingwood. So they look like rounding the top two. But then we've got all on 56 points. We've got Melbourne, Sydney, and Brisbane. And Fremantle, just two points behind that. So that's, you know, those teams can finish as, you know, as high as three, but as low as six. And if they slip up even more, seven, four, eight, they even miss the final. So it's really close competition. Listening to that, the ladder there, it's really close with those top six teams. Yeah, because I mean, Mel- the, the top two have broken away a little bit, but the next few quite bunched up and really close competition. Yeah, it makes a really good competition in the next few games. In terms of the news of AFL, I like Patrick Chris for Carlton midfielder, who's an exceptional player. He he was charged, and basically this morning I saw he got off the charge he was on, so he's free to play, which is, which is excellent. Yeah, but as you're saying, Greg, it just makes the last three or four rounds really exciting. See where we end, us as Swan supporters. Hopefully, it'll be nice to see us just on the Swans. Be remiss of me not to mention, I think today or yesterday was officially the 40th anniversary of when they moved to Sydney. I was going to ask, is that, that's not South Melbourne, that's the move from South Melbourne to Sydney. That's right, South Melbourne to Sydney. And look, something, not just Sydney, but relocated clubs and mergers, it's definitely something we'll have a look at one day in our podcast because it's really interesting. It is really, and it's, yeah, we will take a dive into that about clubs that have gone on to be successful after they've merged or relocated. And look, a real success story, not just because it's our team we support, but the fact that, you know, they they nearly, they nearly fell over a couple of times. It so, went so close to all going under, but yet through the resilience of the club, really, and the administrators and the players who played for them for those years, tough years, nothing but credit to them. And, you know, now one of the most, well, consistent and well-run, not just clubs in AFL, in Australia. Australia, yeah. So, I bet AFL, looking forward to the, to the next month and seeing you know, how the ladder finishes and where everyone sits in time for the finals. Bring it on. Yeah, it should be, as I said, listening to that ladder, should be a good last, is there six rounds to go in the AFL? No, it's not as many. I think it's, um, they only have 20, AFL's about 24 or 5. Think so. It's about yeah, about three or four games. Three or four games. Well, that's even more exciting to see how that ladder pans out and the the finals are decided moving yeah. forward in the next few weeks. And look, Carlton and Richmond are rounding out the eight with St Kilda a couple of points behind. Look, Bulldogs still a chance mathematically. They have to play really well, but it's probably going to come from those top ten teams. Onto the NRL now. NRL one of those weeks because of what we mentioned Port Green's passing. Stuff that dominated the news that seemed important, now people realise wasn't not that important at all. But the big news of the week was Ricky Stewart, the Canberra coach, at the press conference, was asked about the incident involving Tom Starling, I think it was, being kicked by Penrith player Jaden Jaden Salmon, and his comments were quite bewildering, really. 
I think bewildering is being polite and an understatement. It was bizarre. It's, yeah. I, I've, you know, all my years of watching all range of professional sports, and I've never heard a coach speak like that about an opposing player ever. It was, yeah, I, and I think the normally you say, oh, you know, why don't the journalists question that more? But I think everyone, when you said it, was in shock. For those, for those who weren't across it. What happened was an incident on the field where Jaden Salmon kicked out. He sort of kicked out and connected. I think twice. He, he sort of got the Canberra player in the in the head and also in the groin, in the groin, yeah, you know, which we all know is quite painful. But asked about it, and apparently it was the end of the conference. So Canberra didn't win the game, so losing team, but got through the conference, and that was the last question. And apparently Ricky Stewart's comment was, "I've known this kid for a long time." about 12 years ago, whatever it was, he was a weak gutted dog as a kid and he's a weak dog person now. And to save, and obviously, and not surprisingly, even, and now, like, they cross straight back to the studio with Cooper Cronk and all that. And all those people have huge respect for Ricky Stewart. And when they said, he'll, re- I think he'll regret that. He shouldn't have said that. You know, he stuffed up. And, and the next few days, obviously, the, proverbial hit the fan and rightly so and yeah, it's been an interesting week look not unsurprisingly his parents did a media release on twitter i think it was the next day and, and just yeah just bizarre and not fair like apparently the background is there's history in the canola district when ricky stewart was there his son coming through the ranks the same age obviously as as Jaden salmon and yeah, incident obviously between families or the boys, whatever it was. And Ricky obviously holds a pretty fair grudge. Certainly sounds like it, but even so, for to be a professional coach, and I know, look, he lost the game. It must be tough to face the presses after you lose, but that's part of the job, and they mm. get paid pretty well to do that. You know, you got to, you know, they're remunerated pretty well for for what they do, and they've got to put up with those tough times when you lose and face the press, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But to make a personal comment like that after your team loses about an individual player, and look, kicking in rugby league, you know, it's a physical game, but kicking out like that's not accepted. So fair enough. But to make a personal comment about another player like that is unusual, bizarre, unwarranted. And as you said, uh, as the panel on Fox said, you know, we'll live to regret it and probably has copped it in the media this week and quite rightly. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think he's coaching this week. He's having a week out. No, $20,000 individual fine. So can't the, the club aren't allowed to pay it, plus one-week suspension. And the one-week suspension being not just for the game day, but can't go to training, can't contact any players. So it's a full one-week suspension. Which on, I was watching a bit of NRL 360, some of the... Journeys there were carrying on. Oh, it's too much. It should just be the game day. I, I think he's lucky he only got one myself. I agree. I think to, to only get one week, even though it is away from the team completely, I think he was lucky to walk away with only one week after such a personal comment and inappropriate comments. So I think he can count himself a little bit lucky that he only, was only, that he got one week and not longer. I agree with you. Mm. And a little sideshow to it was Paul Kent wrote an article midweek about he was sort of comparing it apparently he's a on Ricky Stewart's side, he's a mate of Ricky Stewart's and lots of people are. He's a respected figure in the game. But he I didn't read the article, but it basically mentioned I think Mark Geyer made a comment about how disappointed he was and he brought up Mark Geyer's daughter 
you know, involved in a um, and alleged and totally unproven and incorrect, um, you know, in a, in a um, scandal, video scandal years ago, and or three years ago, and MG was on Triple M, and he started talking about it, and we all know we all love MG, who is such a great emotional and passionate player, and he started really calmly, and then he just let rip, you know, basically how dare Paul Kent involve involve you know bring that up again when you know it's been a couple of years of that dealing with that and all that but he made a good point interesting point and he said if ricky stewart you know 12 years holding a grudge against someone mark guy said well when it happened with him the next day he was at the solicitor's office dealing with it and he just thought how the hell is ricky how paul kent was defending ricky stewart to say that you know something that happened 12 years ago and if it was 12 years ago, they would have genuinely only been kids. And if it's just, you know, between the kids or the families, junior rugby league or developing rugby league, move on, move forward. You know, Ricky's had a couple of jobs since then and moved on and had some success, definitely, as, as particularly the Raiders coach in recent years. Focus on that. Don't don't go backwards in time. It's just crazy. Yeah, it is. You just have to be better than that, don't you? And look, Paul Kent actually spoke on NRL 3. He was quite good and how he was just trying to mention that when it comes to your family, how that the emotions do kick in and it becomes a different thing, which is true. But it's the same as you know in the education space we've, we've had a bit to do with. Everyone's passionate about their children, but you cannot. <laughs> there's certain things you just cannot do, and you've just got to accept it. So look, look, Ricky Stewart is well respected. He'll he'll bounce back from this. Will there be legal ramifications? Possibly. But he'll just have to deal with that. Yeah, well, look, we all make mistakes. It's, it's not a matter of, you know, he won't be hung, drawn, and quartered as such, and nor should he. But, yeah, just unfortunate and something I'm sure if he had his time again, he not said it and or used his words very differently. I will acknowledge he came out first thing the next morning and yeah. apologised, an efficient apology. That doesn't make it go away, of course, but he did apologise I think, you know, cop the consequence on the chin and then just move forward and hopefully that's what'll happen and it'll, you know, be dealt with behind the scenes and go back to talking about and coaching football. Way it should be. And as we mentioned, you know, recent events has brought to light, well, you know, it's not in the whole scheme of things, these sort of things are important to the game, but not certainly nowhere near the top echelon of importance in everyone's lives. On the onto the game, the ladder or well, last night we had Melbourne now, it was really, really exciting lead up to the game because everyone was saying, are Melbourne gone? You know, they've lost, been losing quite a few games, were out of or hanging around just outside of the top four. And they were, some people thought, they were, yeah, they would beat Penrith with Penrith, obviously, Cleary and Luai out in the halves. Some thought, no, they're not playing well enough. Yes, Bellum is a f- terrific coach, but Munster's a great player, but they wouldn't have the firepower. And... You write Melbourne off, and guess what happens? Write them off your own peril, I say, because they were their defence last night was superb. They defended the line for the whole game. I, I thought I think they've just timing Bellamy just been the super coach that is timing the season perfectly, and they're really coming into form at the right time. As you said, I know Penrith are missing a couple of players, but they could not find a way through, and really 
didn't look like scoring. They got close, like they they got down their end a lot, but couldn't break the defence and really didn't look like scoring. There's a couple of vague chances out wide on the wing, but nothing I thought where they really really looked like they were going to break that defence. So kudos to Melbourne coming good at the right time of year. And as I said, I know people had and the me- some of the media had, but write them off at your own peril because it seems to me they're coming good at the right Absolutely. time as they so often have. Yeah. Well, interesting you say that, Greg, because I've always been in your camp. Write them off. I remember up around Origin, people say, oh, I think they're shaky. I say, you never, ever write them off because as soon as you do, this is what happens. However, and I said after Origin, I'll come good. But after Origin, they didn't come as good as quickly as they normally do. And after the last few weeks, I never write them off, but I, I did. I thought, well, particularly if they don't win last night, but I was even thinking, no, I think they're gone. And <laughs> silly, silly, silly. That's all I can say. No, I think they'll be there at the end of the year, there or thereabouts, and certainly be in the mix. Yeah, and, and from my own personal perspective, being a Tigers fan, look, interesting seeing David Nofaluma. Some people are, you know, loaning players. Another in- interesting topic we could do later. But I think it's a great – some people don't like it. I think it's a great thing. I just think Nofaluma can experience a champion – club which is what they are he'll go back to the Tigers next year with that experience about well this is what they do there this is you know it can only be good for the player and what he can bring back I think you'd think so to bring depth to the culture just from the experience of you know a few weeks you know being with such a successful coach such a successful club spending a few weeks there I agree with you Greg I can't see how that can hurt the Tigers moving forward given the fact that basically their season's over. Yeah, some people do see it as it's just you know, top clubs just trying to fill up, which is true. I agree with you. I think we you know, there's a chat for another day, the, the notion of professional clubs loaning players mid-season. But from a Tigers point of view, I, I can only see it as being good for them moving forward. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of it, I must say. But if it, if it ever was to happen, go the other way, well, I might think differently. But yeah, we'll, we'll certainly have a chat about it. With the finals upcoming, so about four or five, four, I think it's four rounds to go. So the latter, look, the minor premiership battle. So Penrith are six ahead of the Cowboys who play this week. So potentially the Cowboys will be four points behind. So look, Penrith's for and against is still very good. There is a chance if Penrith slip up, lose two games, the Cowboys keep winning. But it looks most likely scenario is Penn will win the minor premiership. So we've got Cowboys. So they're 38 points. Cowboys are on 32. Now then we've got the Storm and the Sharks rounding out the top four on 30 points. Then we've got Eels on 28. Rabbitohs in six on 26. Broncos on six, seventh, sorry, on the same points, 26. Roosters on 24. And then the Raiders, 22. And on 10th spot, the Sea Eagles on 20. So Sea Eagles and Dragons have to win every game to be a chance. And I can't see that happening. Definitely can't see that happening. So I think that could be end of season for them. Look, Raiders, they have to they have to win at least, I'd say, three of the next four games to be a chance. So the rest of them, I think, will be sort of jockeying for the top in the top eight. And look, the top four is crucial. The top four get that double chance if they lose their first game of the finals. Whereas obviously five, six, seven, eight don't but I think it's a real like the AFL looking really interesting potentially because there's teams are going to finish in that bottom eight 
who can still, I think, win the competition. Based on form earlier in the season, if you look at someone like Brisbane, which has slipped down a little bit, but if you look at their form early of the season, if they can recapture some of that form, I certainly think they can make a noise in the finals. And the Roosters as well. The Roosters as well, good point. Yeah, yeah I think never I mentioned write, last never week. Never write the Roosters off. Yeah, I took the bait $26 a few weeks ago, and I thought, yeah, I, I'm going to have a piece of that. Not being a Roosters fan at all, I just thought, yeah, but, you know, when they, yes, they're shaky and they're a bit inconsistent, but if they get a roll on, like a bit, bit like Melbourne, really strong club culture and amazing coach. So it'll be be a wait and see thing. But yeah, really looking forward to the next month of the NRL. Moving on, Greg. Now, I, we mentioned this before, but I know you're very excited. We're talking about basketball, how Lauren Jackson was putting her hand up for selection, if, if selected, for the World Cup. Which is, and she did, and she was selected. Yeah, so the team was announced this week for the World Cup, which is being held in in Sydney in September at Homebush. And Lauren Jackson came in of retirement earlier this year. Originally, publicly she said she wasn't, but I think in the back of her mind had views to hopefully making the yep. World Cup team, but was playing NBL 1 competition, which is the second-tier competition in Australia. And she was playing for her local Aubrey Wodonga Bandits, and was performing amazingly well in that second tier competition. That said, she hasn't played for nine years and retired because of chronic injuries. Yeah. So has worked on a re- regime to get a body fit and work through the grind of playing again. Has done that extremely well. Got After putting up such great numbers in the NBL 1, got invited to join the Opal squad, the extended squad, for, the, for some training in Canberra and then they went to New York for a camp where they played some training and some matches against Canada, friendlies against Canada. And Lauren was invited to that extended squad and the team was named this week after that camp in New York. And she did make the team, which is phenomenal. Someone to come back and not being 41 years of age, but not playing at that level for nine years and being able to put herself in a position to be selected legitimately, I think is phenomenal. Whether she gets a lot of court time... I was about to ask you. Probably not, we give the team, but just what she'll bring, her experience, like we're just talking about with the football, the culture, her, the, the work ethic, that winning culture that she'll bring, mm. that mentality that she'll bring to those younger players, you can't get that anywhere else. So to have her there, even if she's deep on the bench, as long as she's fit enough, I think the selection was a no-brainer. And in terms of promoting basketball again and getting it in the headlines, Definitely. what a great selection. What a great selection to promote the Opals, the World Cup in general, and and to get fans back in the stadium watching women's basketball. Huge kudos to everyone involved, but more importantly, huge kudos to Lauren Jackson for putting herself in that position where she could be selected. I agree with you. Total no-brainer. Even if she didn't play a single minute, I think it'd still be worth selection. I agree with you. you Just the mentoring and and showing the way, but she will. She'll certainly get... Yeah, off the bench, get caught. She'll time. get minutes off the bench, definitely, and and she makes our bench so deep. When you you know, she could be considered the twelfth player, but when that's Lauren Jackson with her experience, that's more than just a twelfth player. That that's phenomenal. So, look, playing on home soil, the the Opals are still ranked third in the world. They didn't have a great Olympic Games. There was I won't go into it, but mm. it's been well documented in the media. There's a lot of yes tension and upset before just before they headed off to the Olympics and that they didn't play well. Yeah. It was very disruptive to their preparation and unfortunately they didn't perform to the level they would have expected at the Olympics in Tokyo. But 
they've spent a lot of time regrouping and redeveloping that connection and culture. And I think they're in a really good position to perform really well on home soil. So I'm really looking forward That's to exciting. the World Cup in hosted in Sydney um, in late in September this year. And it won't certainly won't do any harm publicity wise, marketing wise. <laughs> it's absolutely a, a not. No, it can only only be positives for the sport in general. Before we move on, my admiration. I think I mentioned in a previous podcast. I had to listen to Lauren as a guest on the Howie Games. I've listened Mark to that Howie. one as well. It was a fantastic and, and, interview. And but she was explaining how her body was at that stage, and she she was totally stuffed. You know, just life was difficult. Painful yeah. to move her knees, her ankles, a lot of pain. And she, to she get lived over with that. a lot of pain. But to move from that, find new strategies to manage it, new medications to manage it. Yeah, phenomenal effort. Oh, well done, Lauren. And really looking forward to the Women's World Cup. Formula One, we, we touched on Formula One last week, Greg, and with Daniel Ricciardo and the up and coming Australia driver, Oscar. I really need Oscars. Apologies to learn how to pronounce your name properly. But it looks like, not confirmed, you were saying, Woods chatting off air, but the rumours are, Greg, McLaren? It looks like, as I said, it's not confirmed yet, but it looks like that Oscar Piastri will be moving to McLaren, which is the driver's seat Daniel, Daniel Ricciardo is currently in. So Daniel Ricciardo looks like, although publicly said he was staying, looks like he will be moving on to another Formula One team. He'll get picked up by someone. If he continues in Formula One. I would think with the experience and what I've read, it looks like he will be picked up by another team. That looks like being Alpine at the moment, but that could change as well. So So that's who who Oscar drives for now, isn't it? Is that Alpine? No, different team. No, different team, I think. So, as they say, the F1 circus continues. The roundabout. But personally, I hope Ricardo gets picked up. I think he's too good a driver to, to, not, get a, to not get a ride. You would think the experience that he would bring, he, he's had you know, numerous, multiple wins in F1, has finished well, struggled the last couple of years, but has got the runs on the board previously, and you think he would get picked up. As they as one of those developing teams for another drive, but as you said last week, it's great that we have got two. You know, it's not it's only twenty cars in Formula One, and we're talking about two drivers yeah. being Australian. That that's great we'll for take the that. sport and promoting it locally. So I think that's positive in itself. Yeah, because it's normally exciting if we just get one. You know, like obviously Ricardo and Ricardo, Jack Brabham back in the day, who was you know what five time world champion, Mark Webber just Mark before, Webber and Mark Webber, you know he. He was our solo sort of participant. Plenty of good drivers always coming through, though. But I think it's great for for Australia um, racing. And just lastly, Greg, I thought I'd touch on Curios, our friend, Mr. Curios. His continued winning form. Had a win. Played, he did play really well. Um, a tournament, ATB tournament in Washington, D.C. He's won that tournament before, actually. He had, if I'm correct, he beat number one Medvedev? Yes. I think in, that's, in the final, is that right? Wasn't this one? It wasn't Medvedev. He beat Medvedev yesterday, oh, or okay. a couple of days ago, in the next tournament. Where they are now, he's actually playing. Um, it's all Australian. Dominguez now, as we speak. I'm not sure first, second, second or third round of that tournament. Yeah, but the Washington DC. Yeah, he played the semi-final, or was it the quarter-final against an American player? And it was curious. Yeah, usual a little bit of tension here and there, but he got over that match. And, and got through to the final and won it. But also, remarkably, he also won the doubles. 
with Kokonakis? No, it wasn't with Kokonakis. It was. I, oh, I didn't I, see the result I of the doubles at all. No, I think it might have been with an American player. It, it escapes me right now. But yeah, he was also doubles. And that's quite rare to happen. You know, singles and doubles champion of one tournament. In one tournament. Doesn't happen a lot. As we said a few weeks ago, hopefully on the back of Wimbledon, he's turned the corner and that potential that he's shown for many years is starting to come through and sort him sort his headspace out so he's ready to compete in every tournament. But great start leading into the US Open, yeah, obviously. I was about to say, US Open you know, coming up next month, you know, the hard courts in the US, and yeah, great, great preparation. So so well done to Nick. Um, yeah, keep keep the victories coming. And also, um, Alex Mimar, he's he could go deep in the US Open as well. Yeah, he seems prime ready to go in those hard courts as well. And you know, Not winning, but quality lead up as well. So keep your eye on him. For sure. So with us wrapping them, first round exit for both of them. Probably now we've put the mock on both <laughs> of them. They'll go out early without, for sure. Babe. That's well, our usual strategy, isn't it? Yes. No, We the, the, the commentator's curse or kiss of death. Yeah, sweet. We all do it, don't we? I heard a classic last night. I don't know if you heard the commentary in the NRL. It was talking about, oh, who was it? It was Vossi, Andrew Voss. He was rapping, totally rapping someone. And they just made the biggest stuff up. He just goes, yep. Doesn't matter. Always gets you every time. Without fail. So we should keep our opinions to ourselves on winning and losing to stop the mockers going on these players. But yeah, no. Good luck to both of them as the US Open comes, as we move towards the US Open. Yep. Looking looking forward to that. All right, Greg. Well, that's our wrap of the sporting week. Really looking forward shortly to having our first ever special guest in the chair and having a chat about the superpower that is Manchester United. And Andy is a passionate, tragic Manchester United fan. So Greg and I thought it would be great to have a chat to someone who we can have a look at one of the biggest sporting clubs in the world and someone who supports them and just talk about Andy's journey and what Manchester United means to him. So welcome, Andy. Thank you. (laughs) Now, just a little bit of background for our listeners before we have a chat to Andy just about Manchester United. So Manchester United were founded in England, obviously, in 1878 as the Newton Heath Lancashire and Yorkshire Railways Football Club. Now, how it worked in the UK when football started, I know you know this, Andy, was a lot of the factory owners and industry, industrial revolution, industry, they had their own football teams for the players, I believe, like on a Sunday. That's, that was it, or Saturday, their recreation. And they started a lot of these clubs. And Newton Heath played in green and gold. Green and gold. They did. Nice little, okay, Australian. You know, linked to Australia there. And then they became 1902 officially as Manchester United. So 120 years this year, you know, which is remarkable. Now, just a little bit more information. So they play at Old Trafford in Manchester. Very, very famous. The, the Stadium of Dreams, I believe. Theatre of Dreams. Theatre of Dreams. I knew I'd get it wrong, Andy. Thank you for correcting me. The Theatre of Dreams, they've won, and this is not all of them, this is just going through 20 league titles, so Premier League and before that, it's called the Division 1, mm-hmm. that sort of thing, 12 FA Cups, 5 League Cups, 21 the FA Community Shields, 3 Champions Leagues. I and, think that's right. And, and plenty of other things on top of that. So look, they are one of the biggest sporting clubs in the world. The most, you know, one of the most supported clubs as well. So that is Manchester United. 
So, Andy, first thing I just wanted to ask, you, you grew up in Manchester. So what what's your experience with Man United and how did it all start for you? Um, I was thinking about how it all started and I, I can't really remember a time when I didn't support Manchester United. Um, I remember getting... My parents bought me some boots and some Manchester United socks and what was called a Casey, which was leather-cased football, one Christmas time. And I wore those to death. I think I probably wore them to bed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I remember having to put dubbing on the the football um, to stop the snow because there was really bad snow that winter. And um, I was really busting to get outside and play with my new football. As you would be. And dubbing on the boots too. Uh, to protect from the weather, um, but um, I just don't remember a time when I I supported City, which is odd because um, my grandfather, who only lived three doors down, was a, a, a mad, avid City player. I was a yeah, supporter. Player. And um, my uncle Jeff, who I still see when I go back, and he's been here lots of times too. He's a, a really keen City fan. Um, I was about to ask you, nice little segue. So in Manchester, the Manchester United and Manchester City, the other big club, mm-hmm. is it on geographic grounds? Is it religious it based religious. like it is in Glasgow? It used or? to be religious like in Glasgow. Yep. And City with a Protestant team and, and United with a Catholic team. The Catholic team. team, okay. Now my best mate, um, all, all of my really good mates in England were Catholic and I'm a Protestant. And <laughs> Go figure. But we were very ecumenical, I guess. Um <laughs> And it, it's just, I don't know, because my father supported United. I think that when they had the Munich air disaster in 1958, yep. that brought a lot of sympathy to Manchester United. And um, I was born in 56, so I don't really remember the the um, the event other than celebrations or, or commemorations yep. afterwards um, and years to come. Um but I don't ever remember a time. It's funny because Main Road, which was Manchester City's ground, is closer to where I lived than Old Trafford. Then Old Trafford. Old Trafford's only three miles away from where I lived anyway. Um, but where the city of Manchester Stadium is now, which, which is where Manchester City play, or Etihad Stadium, I think it's called now, is where my father used to work at Stuart Street Power Station. It okay. was knocked down and, and they rebuilt this stadium for the Commonwealth Games yeah. and Manchester hosted the Commonwealth Games and Manchester City have taken it over. Um, but Old Trafford's a much nicer ground, and, yeah, of course. and, we, and we feel it every week. Um, whereas Manchester City don't tend to feel their stadium yeah. as much. Um, but you, City are obviously far more successful at the moment. But there's, that's, I guess, because there's a lot of money involved, um, and yeah. the owners of City compared to the owners of United, who sorry, there's an investment where they could make money and take money out of the club. Yep. The the people who own Manchester City are pouring money into the club and that's that's a big difference I think and why there's a 35 point difference in, in I, only recent though isn't year. it because yeah. over time though the consistency of Man United to your knowledge Andy when did they become like the supporter base from you know obviously Manchester thing to being supported all over the UK and, and later the world um, I think Sir Matt Busby had a lot to do with that yep. the Busby Babes and and Again, the Munich disaster yep. um, brought a lot of sympathy to the club. So how many play? Look, I think it's worth, later on, Greg, we might do an episode on the Munich disaster because it just you know, changed 
obviously Man United and English football. But it was major- 21? It was a lot of... I don't think there are that many killed. I think there are about eight eight or nine players, but I can't remember off the top of my head. Was it Duncan? There, were, there, there were other staff. Duncan Edwards, Edwards died yep. um, a couple of weeks later from injuries. But he um, was an up-and-coming superstar. Well, he was um, like the Ronaldo of the day. Yep. Um, and he was so young and big and strong. He already played for England, and he, he was tipped to just become a, a world-beater. Yep. And so uh, there's still, um, every year on... On his birthday, people visit his grave, and there's um, he, he's a, a big um, name in Manchester United's history. As is Sir Matt Busby, he was in an oxygen tent for a long time after yep. the crash. Um, Bobby Charlton and Bill Folkes were in the team that played ten years later, that won the European Cup the first time, and the first English club to to do it. And Bo- um, Bobby Charlton, he was on the flight, wasn't he? He was on the flight. Yeah, so uh, Bobby Charlton and Billy Folkes where two of the people, and Harry Gregg wasn't in the team that um, was in the European Cup final t- 10 years later, but he survived and he he was pulling a lot of people out of the wreckage. Yep. Um, he should have played in the 63 Cup final, the FA Cup final, but he broke his, I think it was his leg, and he missed <laughs> Didn't have out. much luck. Uh, it was terrible, but uh, I'm told he was still... Um, supporting very strongly he broke his leg i think the day before but um that that is a vivid memory i guess they they played against leicester city and they beat them 3-1 um and i think that was the first year i went to see a live manchester united game my uncle took me yep and we played leicester city and we beat them by the same score i think that was uh, 1963 that was the first time i went to old trafford how do you and you're been and you're been back when you go back to I visit family, you go back regularly. I go back regularly. So could you describe for us? So what is the old Trafford experience? Well, the first time I went, it, did you ever see that film City Slickers by with Billy Crystal? Yes. That, and he talked about the first time he went to the baseball and he walked up these steps and he, and there was this huge bright green diamond. Yep. Well, it's a bit like that going to Old Trafford. There's a, a white picket fence around this this green field and yep. it was super super bright. And for someone who grew up in the inner city of Manchester to see big open spaces like that it, it wasn't yep. um, the everyday thing unless you went to the park um, and so it was just wonderful and I went right down to the picket fence and I was standing on one side and Bobby Charlton was the distance that we're, oh. we're sitting yep. football royalty it was great and you, you could get right up close to the players and it was just a wonderful experience, and and I can still remember it vividly. And so that was the first time. I only saw them twice before we emigrated live. The yep. second time was I went with Bernard and Jared and their family, and that was a, a, a friendly against a, a European club as a pre-season warm-up. Um, and that was probably 1967, just before mm. we emigrated in 68. Um, and then I went back the first time in 74, and we're playing in the second division. Then we'd been relegated, and it was just after the the, um, the, the they'd won the European Cup in '68, and then they started to decline. Yep. And um, I think they played a lot of their best football as a second division team because th- there wasn't the money in it. Mm-hmm. Um, they got um, Tommy Doherty from Scotland as a manager, and he bought half of Scotland, uh, and. and and put them in the team. They were known as Doc Super Scots, and they they really played well. But uh, people like Steve Coppel was putting himself through university by playing for Manchester United, and he fully intended to to quit playing football. And he was a superstar. Yeah. 
uh, he played for England and he just said no I'm just playing this to put myself through university <laughs> and that that was um the difference between yep. now where where they're paying millions and millions and millions of pounds so different isn't people. it yeah the ground itself I've been there once I've done the tour and all that they said they keep, they've basically built it up haven't they yeah they, like, they keep building up and because they they built across a road and extended that way they built a stand across a road yep. so a tunnel goes underneath the road now Oh, it goes underneath the stand. The stand, yeah. I think that was in '95 when we went back because we couldn't get tickets because they they'd reduced the intake to about thirty or forty thousand, and used to take about sixty. Now it takes, I think, seventy-four thousand. Yeah, it's a lot of yeah. and it's full every game. Um, <laughs> for a home match, for you know, home just match. for a regular, yeah, for a regular home match, they're full every week. I'm lucky because my cousin is a season ticket holder, and for a while he had a part-time job on the turnstiles at at um, Old Trafford so he'd always get me a ticket but the season ticket holders have a, a, an unwritten rule that if someone can't make a game they'll sell their their ticket but just for the price that they never scalp never up Mark. never up ne- ne- price. never go up so my cousin always gets me a ticket so I'll just say I'm coming back on such a date I want to come to this game and this game and this game and he organises my tickets so it's, I, and I don't mind where I sit so and, and I've Long been severe. there and everywhere, but it's just it's a fantastic feeling being there. I remember the first time I saw Hillary, my wife. Um, United scored, and she just was overcome by this roar of the, the roar, crowd, yep. and it, it really just shaked your chest, and and she just couldn't get over how noisy it was. And great, uh, and, that, it, it, oh, and that was great. Awesome. Both times I took her, we were sitting in the Stratford end. Once it was up in Nosebleed Territory, yep. but the second time we were six rows back from the goal, oh. and it was just awesome. And David De Gea was in goal, and um, I think we we won two nil that game. And um, I remember Paul Scholes was he was awesome too, and he was directing people left, right, and centre. But he, he was just an awesome person. It was Fergie's, I think, last yep. game before he retired the first time. Then he came back later. But he came and spoke to the crowd and he was standing in front of us as well. So it, it's, it's just so, do you the think, memorable experience. Oh, and uh, that's one on my bucket list. I've seen the ground. I've been to the ground mm-hmm. to actually go to a match. It'd be, be tremendous. So they've had a few gold, well, many golden periods. But 1960s, a very popular team. Obviously, the great players they've had, like some of the best to ever lace on a, a boot. You know, you mentioned 60 Bobby Charlton, George Best. Well, there's a united trinity of Best, Laura and Charlton. And yes. There's a statue of the three of them. And I think having the surname Best was, was, was <laughs> helpful. Got me in the school soccer team. I'm sure it wasn't on talent. <laughs> it wasn't on talent. <laughs> uh, Would, but, wouldn't have done you any harm. And, any. and I, I was playing the same position as him and everything, so... I think it just they, they, they like putting my name just yep. best on the team sheet each week. <laughs> well, now you've got a superstar, yeah. and that period, what late nineties, two thousands. Oh well, Alex Ferguson. I think he for twenty six years. I think he was a manager, and it was interesting because he didn't win a title for the first six seasons that he was. No, uh, he was about to be sacked. Of yeah, but they, then he read. just hit this purple patch, and yep. he kept on going. Um, and I know I I don't know if he still does, but he was lecturing at Harvard beca- afterwards on leadership because he um, had led this great multinational team um, for such a long period. Like Twenty six years he'd been the manager, and he, he he rebuilt the club. And there's a stand now named in his honour, and uh, 
he, he's rightly a, so. Oh, he's just a fantastic person, and um, it was good because he won the European Cup with Aberdeen, and um, yeah, I didn't realise that. So yeah, I was doing a bit of research, and yeah. um, Dennis Law is also an Aberdonian, and recently they put a statue of Dennis Law, and his signal when he scored a goal, he always pumped his okay, yep, his fist up in the air. Well, he's doing that in the statue, but they got Alex Ferguson to go with him to unveil the statue. And another thing I just read recently that was funny was um, Law used to get suspended regularly just before Christmas, <laughs> and nobody could work out why. It, and he, he said that it, in one game, it was the week before Christmas, and he hadn't done anything wrong, so he just went up and punched this bloke, and he got sent off and suspended. <laughs> And it was so he could take his family to Aberdeen yeah, for Christmas. Never... <laughs> <laughs> he used to always do it, apparently. It, yeah. It's sad because he, he now has dementia. Uh, but his daughter wrote a wonderful letter um, just a, a week or two ago, which was published on Facebook, um, and tells the story. It, it, he was just a great bloke. And he's still revered. He's still known as a king. But, but there's been two kings of the Stratford End, I guess, in, in the yep. time that I've been alive. And that was Dennis Law and then Eric Cantona after that. Yep. Um, and Cantona, again... Was, he was freak. Freakish he was talent. A million. Uh, it, he's just a brilliant player. And he, he just had that sixth sense. And, yep. Um, do, do you think they attract the reason... Obviously, success breeds success. Players want to play for Man United, don't they? And they still do, which is, is good. Um, I just think that there's too much money in it now. But... I saw Cristiano Ronaldo live. I went back in 2004 for the FA Cup final and um, Ronaldo scored the first goal and he, he was 18 and he was brilliant then. But he's come back now and he sort of, he, he, he knows that he's still brilliant and I guess that's a, a big problem in that they paid a lot of money but apparently they got the money back that they paid for him in a, within a week just in shirt Jump. sales. Yeah. Uh, it's Jersey crazy. sales. Yeah. It's, all, it's all about the marketing, mm. isn't it? So, so I, I hinted at the start, Andy. How do the Manchester supporters, or even yourself, around the world now, you see kids wearing Manchester United. It can't be a bad thing. But how does the Mancurians relate to you know those tourists who come for Man United? Do they see them as, yeah, not, it's, it's not real supporters? Or? You, you, you don't take a camera with you to... Um to Old Trafford right. because you, you'll be just seen as a, a tourist Yep, and um, they don't like tourists coming and taking the seats, seats that could be that a could real supporter not a real supporter but a, yeah, a, a local and there are people that, that go that, that the season ticket holders come across from Ireland and I know it's it's not a big journey but it's it, would it be expensive to go wouldn't be cheap no there's what 19 home games yep and and then there's, there's all the cup games as well, uh, but there's just 19 league games. So it'd be expensive to go 19 times a year and be a season ticket holder. Uh, it was funny because the last time I went to see um, them was in 2019. And I went back for an uncle's funeral, but I managed to see a game. It was PSG, and I think it was the quarterfinals of the Europa League. And um, Solskjaer was back in yep. charge. And um, the guy who was sitting in front of me um, said, oh, I can't come next week 
when we're playing Liverpool and I couldn't get a ticket to Liverpool because it was it was the game of the season type thing and I said oh why not and he said because this ticket this season ticket belongs to a Liverpool fan and he buys a season ticket just so he can come to the game so he paid to oh. come to to watch Manchester United which aren't cheap Liverpool. And he'd buy a season ticket just so he could go, and and then the rest of the time he uses on sell the ticket to other people. Oh. But it, it was he's sitting in the middle of United fans as well, so he was very brave, <laughs> extremely brave, because they they don't like they, they particularly don't like Liverpool. Oh, games. beautiful little segue that one. Rivalries, so mm-hmm. obviously the, the derby, City, yeah, but also Liverpool, Manchester City, and Liverpool are the, are the two big teams yep. that they. Um, they don't like, and they, they tend to call um, Liverpool fans the bin dippers because they, they, they're always just raiding people's garbage bins. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's funny because my brother-in-law is from Liverpool and he lived just outside Anfield ground. Yep. And um, we have a lot of rivalry. And, and I've got a good mate, in, he lives in Thilmy, and he's a, a, a mad-keen Liverpool fan. So There's plenty, plenty of them as well, the yeah. other big... One of the other big I don't English know if clubs, aren't they? Any parcels delivered, but the, the the guy delivers parcels around here's a Liverpool fan too. So if they beat us, he's singing because he sees me usually in the morning from yep. riding my bike, and he'll say four nil or whatever. <laughs> anyway, we beat them in Melbourne the yeah. other week, so he's been very quiet since then. Oh, <laughs> not hearing much. Is it true that I'm not sure which way it was? Such is the rivalry between Liverpool and Man U that in one league. Um, season, I forget. I was either forget which team it was. One of them were going to clinch the only last last round. If one team won, they're going to get. I think one team had to win. I forget which team it was, but the rumor they deliberately lost because if they lost, um, this the other would win the title, or not win the title, yeah, something I- like that. I, I can remember vaguely, I, I can't remember the circumstances, but I do remember that there was something like that. There was a, and I can't remember if it was United or, or yep. Liverpool who did it, or oh, it oh. might have even been City. But yeah. The, yeah, yeah, I think I know now. Um, yeah, so the other rival in it for the title, a third team, you know, just say it was Chelsea, for instance. Yeah, if Chelsea won against this team, they wouldn't, this team wouldn't win it, wasn't going to win the title, they're in third, but it meant that. It meant the other Liverpool and Man U wouldn't win, mm. and it was rumoured they deliberately lost just to stop the just other stop winning the, the other title. Winning, yeah. So that, such is the hatred. Uh, there, the... There, there's a lot of hatred, but it's funny. Um, I, when I went back to that FA Cup final, um, Timmy Cale was playing for for uh, Millwall. Yep. And um, Millwall would. Fans were known for being Millwall. Really... I I lived at Reading for two years. Yes. Well, you you know when Millwall hit the fans. town, yeah. you should have seen should have seen the town centre the next day. Mm. Well, we were playing Millwall in the cup final, and it was at Cardiff at the Millennium Stadium because Wembley was being rebuilt. Yep. And they had different exits on the freeway. Manchester United fans take this exit, and Millwall fans take this exit. Yep. So the first time you saw anyone in blue was when you went into the stadium. And they had Manchester United in one half and Millwall in the other half because United fans could be a, a bit brutal if they wanted to be as well. Um, yeah, they wouldn't shirk away from my cousin, a challenge. Um, when he was a young, probably an adolescent, he, he was part of that. But they call them the men in black and they don't wear United City gear. They'll just wear 
all black. Okay. And you just see 20 men in black disappear down the street in Cardiff and then all these police would go running after them. <laughs> and you, you knew, and my cousin said they'd, they'd, they'd be on the mobile phones to each other saying, oh, we'll, we'll meet you in police, such a place and have a fight. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's what they went for, which is stupid. Yeah, it's ridiculous, but isn't it? It was really interesting because after the game, and we'd, we'd won three or four nil, I think three nil, um, they just said, okay, you can go now. <laughs> and, and they just opened oh, the gates and no. people went. Well, there wasn't any problem. And we were looking yeah. for somewhere for, for dinner. And we went in to a cafe and there was four of us. And there's this table of Millwall fans. And they just said, oh, we're about to finish. We're good sports. You can have our table. And and that was, there were a lot more people like that. Yeah, but it's the, a, the yeah, absolute minority, yeah, isn't the it? The minority give everyone else a bad name. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, yeah, and plenty of, because Millwall, as I mentioned, when they came to Reading, the police were there escort them from the station mm-hmm. to the bus to get on to the ground and back but even then they'd still get the, the rebels who would yeah, take well, off there's, there's, I'm on a Facebook site the Stretford Enders uh, which is where all the hardcore supporters went yeah. like the cop yeah for Liverpool and, yeah. well um, they reckon the Stretford End <laughs> and Solskjaer says the Stretford End can suck the ball into the net if you're playing to the Stretford yeah. End it's a, it's a great feeling because they'll, they'll, they're worth an extra goal um, but the Stretford Enders Facebook site talks about how there were police escorts from the railways, particularly if you're playing Leeds, because Leeds was another team yep. that was in the 60s. There was yep. big rivalry between Leeds, and I used to hate Leeds with a passion. And and I, not a hateful person, but no. I didn't like Leeds. They were dirty. Dirty Leeds. They all, they're still known today as Billy dirty Leeds, aren't they? In particular, was a shocker. Yep. And, and yeah, that's the way it goes. Yeah. Um, I was. When you were mentioning, oh, sorry, just back on last thing on Millwall, and look, I'm sure most of Millwall supporters are fine, but I remember, I know, Greg, the winner of the FA Cup qualifies for Europe automatically. Millwall, what second division or whatever they were, but I remember the commentator after the semi-final goes, "Hmm, Millwall in Europe, that's an enticing prospect." <laughs> like thinking of their supporters going, yeah. oh, "What damage they would do." Um, any favourite? So many of them you would have seen, TV and live. But your favourite players? I know Solskjaer. Is you put is, uh, is Solskjaer. I I just loved, um, and you know who put the ball in the Germans' net? Solskjaer, Solskjaer. Yeah, you yeah. Are my Solskjaer and all the songs that they'd sing. Um, in the modern era, he was probably my favourite. Um, I obviously George Best. Was he as good as they say? Oh, he was brilliant. Yeah. He, 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 um, the the guy who discovered him just sent uh, Busby a telegram saying, "I think I found you a genius," and and he was. Um, I had a T-shirt that somebody at Lumia gave me when I I took over as principal there, and it had um, Eusebio good, Pele better, George best, <laughs> and I used to wear it with pride uh, because he was he he was just brilliant. But he and um, Pele used to have a an, a competition with one another where they put a cross in the middle of the crossbar and that if they could hit it 10 out of 10 times from the penalty spot they take a step back until they could hit it from halfway and George Best won it says it all really so doesn't it, it? it they, they were yeah from what I've read they said his footwork and that they'd be you know, this is back in the day when hatchet man they'll just chop yeah. your chop your knee without even looking at you without even thinking about it and he would just sidestep just 
he dribble. was he was a great dribbler of the ball. Yeah. And Pat Crerand, who I I, I met and, and was fortunate enough to meet after that FA Cup final, he was a sort of George Best Minder. And but Crerand himself was a brilliant player. He could land a ball in a sixpence um, <laughs> from anywhere in the yep. field basically because he he was just known for that inch perfect passing and. And he, he was a wonderful. He's still going as a commentator now, in, and I think he's eighty odd. But when I went back in two thousand and four, um, we'd won the FA Cup, and my cousin said to me, "Oh, we're having a do on Wednesday yep. night. Would you like to come?" I said, "Oh, I'd love to." He said, "Oh, it's at Old Trafford, and there'll probably be some ex players there, uh, but it'll cost you because you'll have to buy a share because it's a shareholders united thing." And I said, "Oh, I'll be in that." And how much is the share? And he said, "Oh, ten quid. That's not a problem." So. When I got there, um, he said, oh, well, you'll have to fill the paperwork out. He said, I'll just go in and, and see if it's okay for you to, to join and come in tonight. And he came back and said, yeah, yeah, fill these forms out. So I filled them all out. And when I went in, they announced that I was the first owner from Australia. And everybody clapped. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was quite strange. But then Pat Crerin walks over to me and he says, oh, where in Australia from? And I I'm looking. Are you Pat Crerin? He said, "Yes." I said, "I used to come and watch you as a little boy." Yeah. And he said, "What? Can't have been that long ago because I wasn't." <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want to give his age away. And I said, "Oh, you were brilliant." And all night he said, "Oh, I've been." He said, "Where are you from?" I said, "Oh, Picton." He said, "Oh, I don't know Picton." I said, "No, it's about eighty kilometers from Sydney." He said, oh, "I've been to Sydney." I said, "Yes, I know. You went in '67, the year before we emigrated." And um, I, I told him that I'd, I'd used to live in Openshaw, which was. Uh, it's like Chippendale in Sydney. Yep. It's, it's very close to the, the centre of town. And um, so all night he was calling me Sydney. And he'd go to the bar and he'd, how are you, Sydney? And <laughs> at the end of the evening, because it was an FA Cup night, um, they had the FA Cup there and you could have your photo taken for, I think it was two euros, but you you were allowed to just hold onto the yep. handles and stand behind it and have your photo taken. He says, oh, Sydney, come here, come here. He says, I want you to meet Sandy Busby because Samet had died. And he's introducing me to, to Sandy Busby, who is um, Matt's son. And he said, I've got a good idea. He said, I'll go and get the FA Cup and you and me and Sandy can have a photo taken. So he just comes back with you. He goes and grabs it. You're his best mate. Goes back. Here you go, Sydney. He gives me the cup. You hold this. And he's got Sandy Busby on one side and Pecker yep. on the other. And my, my cousin's spewing because he's... I said, oh, do, do you mind if my cousin comes in the photo too? He said, no, 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 no problem. But <laughs> he, he was great. And it was just such a, a, a really good night. Um, when the Glazers bought the club, which was a sad day for if you're in a United fan, um, we all got our shares. Sort of, we were just paid what we got for them. So I just donated mine to the Manchester United Supporters Trust, which is basically the group that's still trying to get rid of the Glazers. Yep, yep. The, the Glazers have taken something like, it's either one or two billion dollars out of the club since they've owned it. They they borrowed 600 million to buy the club and they're just using it as, they're stripping the assets the whole time. Whereas yeah, that's if sad. you look at Chelsea and you look at um, Liverpool and you look at Manchester City, they're being bought by people outside the country with a lot of money who are just pouring money in. Pouring in, yeah. And and money spoiled it. it I, I still think that the time I enjoyed going to see them live most was when they were in the second division. And they came to Australia in 75, just before I went to Teachers College. And they played Australia at the 
what was then the Sydney Sports Ground. Yep. And I went to see them. And I'd been back for the first time to England in 74. And the day I arrived back, Jim Holton, who I don't know if you know who he is, but he played for United. And they used to say, Six Foot Two Eyes of Blue, Big Jim Holton's After You. That was okay. the song they sing. Anyway, he broke his leg. My cousin used to wag school to go and watch him train at the cliff. And he was telling me, oh, when you come, I'll take you to see Jim Holton. He's a great player. Anyway, Jim Holton was fit and ready when he played Australia in 75. And we were sitting in the sports ground and the whole of the United team just came out and stood in front of us. We were sitting sort of one row back from the walkway. Royalty parade. So I just jumped over and, and I said, oh, I, I couldn't believe it. Lou McCary and Sammy McElroy, they were all there. Um, Coppel was there. And then Jim Holton's there. And I said, oh, I came 12,000 miles to see you play and you broke your leg in the day. I said, on the day I arrived, you broke your leg. I said, so I'm expecting a goal from you tonight. He, <laughs> he just laughed. He said, I'll see what I can do. Anyway, he scored, he scored from about 30 yards out. He just hit his <laughs> screen when he just looked up at the stand and smiled. It was a wonderful night. And um, there's so many memories like that, I guess. That, um, my 21st birthday was when they played in the FA Cup um, against Liverpool and we beat them 2-1, 21-2-1. Oh, there you and, go. And it, it was, was meant to be. It was of May. It was, it, 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 they punctuated some... My 40th birthday, they beat Liverpool again. That was when Cantona took the step back and scored the goal. Yep. They won the game. and They're, they're just a, a great team. Yep. They've... They've part of your life very happy yep. <laughs> all through my life yeah. yeah with Georgie Best I just wanted to add you know as good as he was too and all that was done after leaving a nightclub at 5 5 a.m mm. <laughs> he, 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 he's known for his quotes he, he said um, I love the one about squandering yeah well most of his money he, he, he spent on um, women and booze the rest he just squandered <laughs> <laughs> yeah but he's he's just a typical typical of him but apparently he was very shy there's lots of photos of him um, when he was back in Dub- in Belfast and he um, would, would just stand and talk to old people. Yep. And he, he, he wasn't, um, he didn't big note himself. I've got his autograph. He bought this house, he had a house built in Manchester and they called it the Goldfish Bowl because it was all glass. Okay. Well, my uncle was a, working as a second job as a cleaner and he got to go and clean the house. George Best arrived to, to I don't know, just look at it, and I guess. And my uncle said, oh, my nephew in Australia is a big fan of yours. He, he loved your autograph. And Georgie Best says, oh, have you got any paper? He said, no. He said, oh, hang on. I've got a letter here. So he tore the letter up and just wrote on the back, best wishes, George Best. <laughs> I've still got it. Uh, <laughs> there was a lady who used to live in Cultural Crescent. They've moved now, but they were his next door neighbour in Belfast. Yeah, they live in Jarvisville now. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. And it's it's a small world. Yeah, the the story I like. I'm not sure how true it is. The one about George Bess, where you know the morning after the night before in the hotel, the bell. What are they called? The oh, the bellboy. I've seen walks heard in, this story. And and what is he? So he's there. Was it? He's got he's got the Miss World Miss World naked on the bed. Is that all this cash from and a all day this at cash the races? That he won at the casino and bottles of Dom Perignon, yeah. which is yeah. the, the, the doorman order. And he just said, shook his head and said, Where did it all go wrong, Mr. Best? And George yeah. Best looked at him and said, Wrong. <laughs> what? Wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Where did it all go wrong? Yeah. Well, this is looking right. Mm. Um, 
But Andy, look, you can just tell from, and thanks for your time, just what the club means to you. To me, we're chatting before, off air, just the, the football they play. You know, generally speaking, I know last few years haven't been as good, but just that attractive. I I can tell why very attacking, and very it, it's exciting, exciting end-to-end stuff, and it just has you on the edge. And let's face it, in English football, it's not always like that. No, a lot of it's just that. It used don't to be, concede it used to and be a lot lose. more than, and they sort of went very European with this very technical build up. Yep. And um, Ten Hag is from Holland, but he's noted as a a person who really presses forward. And he's he's wanting to to implement that more more of a style back and I think that's what Solskjaer was aiming to do as well before they booted him out yeah that's I, the way it goes I thought that was it, it's cutthroat isn't it yeah but yeah to me that's what yeah just attacking attractive football well and if I had to I, you may not be able to answer this but if you had to say in a couple of words so what does Manchester United mean to you um I won't say it's a religion, but there's a sign up saying Manchester United is a religion that, that, that they show above the Stratford End. It's just a, a very big part of who I am. Yep. Um, and it's funny because um, if you're a United supporter and you're not from Manchester, it's sort of like Manly and the Silver Tales. And it was really funny because when we first came to Australia, Manly were playing against South Sydney in the grand final, and South Sydney had won it for endless years. Yep. I think 68. And so I thought, well, I'll go for the underdog. So I've become a Manly supporter, and people were giving me heaps about being a Manly supporter. <laughs> Rightly so. And I said, well, why? And oh, they're the Silver Tails. And Manchester United are a bit like that. Um, but if you come from Manchester, it's. Um, the heart and soul. It, it's it's just part of who you, you are, unless you're a City fan. And. You know, I've, I've got relatives who are City fans, so I'm not going to badmouth them too much. But uh. <laughs> Well, the best... I love when I did the tour of Old Trafford and they said this has been you know, used our home ground since 19-whatever. And it says the only time we didn't play here was... Played at Main Road well, during they the played war. At, yeah, well, during the war it was bombed. Or it was bombed. Yeah. And they played at Manchester City's home ground. And they said, we're eternally grateful for Manchester City for accommodating us. Mm-hmm. And they're internally grateful because for once they actually got to see attractive football played at Main Road. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be right, yeah. yeah. There used to be a song, um, what was it? Um, There's a crack up in the ceiling and the Kipak Street is leaking. Joe Mercer's got no money, feeds his team on bread and honey. It was, what are we living for to see Man City in Division 4? That was the, <laughs> the song they used to sing at Old Trafford. Yeah. And that, yeah, we could go into that, couldn't we? The experience of the song. Yeah. I used to English go and football. watch, um, when I went back in 74, City used to be at home the week that United were away. And I don't know whether that was designed that way or not. But um, my, I'd go with my uncle and watch Manchester City play. And every time I went, they lost. And my cousin is a, a, is a bigger red than I am. He kept saying, look, you keep going because every time you go, they lose. <laughs> <laughs> and we like that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But Andy, thank you so much, mate, for, for joining us. That's okay. Our inaugural guest. Um, you know, just having a look at it. You can it. only get better, can't it? <laughs> oh, no, mate, wouldn't say that. I think you've enhanced the podcast. Um, we'll let the listeners be the judge, perhaps. But thanks so much, Andy. Not for- a problem. Well, Gray, I guess that brings us to the end of episode eight. Indeed, Greg. It's been very enjoyable. And I know I've said it, but thanks again to Andy for enjoy 
joining us and enlightening us on what it's like to be a Man United fan. Yeah, it was great to have a guest and, and listen just to Andy's stories and the passion which he told them and brought back his memories and to hear that it's just part of him as a person. It was really interesting to, to listen to. And again, like Gray said, thanks, Andy, for your time with us today. And the yeah, interesting bit, be similar that not just Man United been a huge club, just about any English, Scottish, British soccer fan would have a similar stories. But being such a big club as well as Man U, it just made it, made it a little bit more interesting. Yeah, no, very, very special. I really appreciate his time. Now, Mac, coming up this week, it's another exciting weekend of AFL, NRL. Also, tennis, as we mentioned, tennis season. The, the hard courts in America, in the North America, are hotting up in the lead-up to the US Open. So there's plenty happening, as always. So really look forward to seeing what the, the next week in sport brings. Yeah, lots of sport to keep our eye on during the week and looking forward to dissecting and chatting about it next next week, Gray. And also, look, thanks to those who contributed. Please keep the emails coming. We really enjoy or like the suggestions for topics because if some really good topic suggestions, we would really love to, to do them on the, on the podcast. Yeah, really enjoying getting some feedback from listeners. So as Gray said, keep that up. Email us at two sporting muppets at gmail.com. That's number two sporting muppets at gmail.com. If you've got any feedback or suggestions, we, we're, we're really loving getting some of that now. Fantastic. For sure. Even if, like I said, and nothing's too negative. Nothing at all. Because, ne- it, because it really, really does help. And if you ask us to uh, have a couple of episodes off and quit doing it, well, we'll consider it. We'll have a. Very small thing, but then move forward. <laughs> That's right. But have have a great week, everyone, and good luck to your sporting team this weekend. Whoever they may be, have a great week, everyone. Thank you. <laughs>